0: It's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain Podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Thanks once again for joining me this week for Episode 10 of the Behind the Curtain Podcast. This is our 11th episode, but it's only Episode 10 because we had a bonus track last week. Gonna need to talk to the boss about the math here. Anyway, you really should check out the two episodes last week if you haven't already. This week's episode features a discussion about the history and future of the American Tea Party movement, and another about the seedy and seamy side of local politics. Both guests demonstrate that all politics is local. My first guest is my good friend Brad Marston. Brad co-founded Four Tier Strategies, a political consulting firm, after being a founding organizer of the 2009 Boston Tea Party. Brad and I go way back to the founding of the American Tea Party movement. April 15th marked the 10-year anniversary of the explosion of the movement into American politics. Brad and I talk about the massive impact we had, what the movement is today, how it coexists with the Trump presidency, and where we go in the future. Also, you get to hear Brad talk about Joe Biden's affinity for 12-year-old girls. Good times. Brad is currently involved with The Wounded Blue, which he describes as wounded warriors for domestic first responders. You can find more information at thewoundedblue.org and contribute at gofundme.com slash the-wounded-blue. Brad is on Twitter at Brad Marston. A quick note for our Patreon patrons. No bonus segment this week. Scheduling was a challenge this week, and we did not have enough time to set aside a bonus segment. However, Brad's segment goes extra long, so for one week only, you basically get bonus content for free. You can check out previous bonus segments with guests like Steven Cruiser, Rebecca Friedrichs, Michael Loftus, and many others at patreon.com slash behind the curtain with Jeff Reynolds. My second guest is a conversation with a school board member running for re-election here in Oregon. Marty Hyen sits on the Salem-Kaiser School Board and has come under fire recently by an extreme progressive group for the sin of holding the endorsement of Oregon Right to Life. We talk about these social media attacks she's endured, the extreme sex education agenda they're pushing in our schools, and how the radical progressives have organized themselves to take out common-sense conservatives at every level. You can find her contact info and social media sites at hyenfororegon.com. Hyen is spelled H-E-Y-E-N. Don't forget to subscribe to the Behind the Curtain podcast wherever you listen to it, and please leave a positive rating. The more subscribers and the better ratings, the higher Behind the Curtain will rank on podcast services like iTunes and Google Podcasts, among many others. I'm happy to report that my book continues to generate buzz. It's called Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. I saw a nice spike in sales last week after my appearance at Dorchester, and the reviews have been stellar. Search for it in stores or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Simon & Schuster. It's available in hardback, Kindle, or Nook now. Check out whoownsthedems.com for more information. Welcome into the Behind the Curtain Podcast with Jeff Reynolds.
1: I'm your host, Jeff Reynolds. And my guest today is somebody that I've known for about 10 years, uh, close to it anyway. And uh, we're talking today about the anniversary of the Tea Party. Uh, the, a lot of folks put out uh, uh, remembrances last week for Tax Day because that was the really big rally. You know, we had a couple of rallies earlier on in, in 2009, but really April 15th was the, the biggest of the nationwide rallies in 2009 for the uh, American Tea Party Movement. It really put us on the map. And so uh, I'm here to kind of reminisce about that and then uh, see where the Tea Party Movement goes from here with my friend Brad Marston from Boston, Massachusetts. Brad,
2: welcome in. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's uh, great to talk to you again. And uh, having just seen you a couple of months ago at, at CPAC felt a little bit like a reunion.
1: Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's interesting to see how CPAC has evolved as well. It's uh, uh, it, it's been uh, up, it's been down, it's been all around, and it's kind of indicative of the movement as a whole, don't you think?
2: Oh, I'd, I'd say definitely. Um, it's uh, the the last. I'm I'm still trying to kind of figure out where CPAC is going as far as as who's coming and what what the energy is. Um, it's, it's certainly been different since, uh, uh, Trump's election. <clears throat> um, I think opposition to, uh, President Obama was sort of the, the, the motivating factor, um, for the last few years of, of his presidency. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the conservative movement is still sort of trying to find its legs, um, uh, under President Trump,
1: yeah, I, I think there's uh, several reasons for that, right? Uh, you know, one is how does Trumpism fit with the Tea Party movement, and how do those two things fit with the establishment GOP? And so there's there's some there's some feeling out that's still going on even after two years. Um, but also, you know, you go back. I, I have a friend that's been involved in conservative politics longer than I have, um, and I got involved. Because of the Tea Party, I was never involved at all. But a friend of mine pointed out that in 2004, after uh, uh, George W. Bush won re-election, the energy really just kind of died. And I think there's a, a complacency factor in the conservative movement that we're not, once we win an election, we're not out there constantly Organizing and doing the community organizing stuff that the left is doing year round. We just kind of sit back and, and um, uh, well, we, we just think, well, I guess our job is done here.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you, you talk about the, the origins of the movement. I was actually one of the uh, three original organizers of the Boston Tax Day Tea Party back in 2009. And of course, I'm at the age when I say I helped organize the, uh, you know, the Boston tea party. I have to remind people it's the one in, in, uh, the, the 20th century, not the uh, 18th. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and and it, it was interesting because I gave the, uh, the, you know, what's next speech, where do we go with all of this energy? Um, right. and in, in my case, it was deciding to run for office. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I ran in, uh, uh, well, I, I ran in perhaps the most difficult district in Massachusetts for a Republican. It was uh, back Bay, Beacon Hill, uh, oh, part of the West end. And just <laughs> to make it sport, just to make it sporty, five precincts in Cambridge. Um,
1: <laughs> so you're courting the communist vote.
2: Yeah, but I, but I actually got like 500 votes in Cambridge. I was amazed. Oh, wow. um, but, uh, you know and and like yourself it was it was the tea party movement that kind of got me back involved in politics um, uh, my dad was a presidential appointee uh was uh, originally appointed by uh uh president nixon uh to run the uh the federal home loan bank board um and uh you know and and part of that and i i had pre- previously been a, a wall street mortgage backed securities trader And, you know, so I think, you know, the the uh, the financial market meltdown, the mortgage market meltdown, um, you know, I kind of I sort of saw it coming and seeing the government's response um, was just completely wrongheaded. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's inter- I mean, Massachusetts, I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, like Oregon. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, one of the guys that got elected in, uh, you know, with huge Tea Party support was a, um, very active conservative, um, activist guy named Jim Lyons. And, uh, he was, um, uh, he was elected to the, uh, the house here in Massachusetts. And, uh, he lost in 2018. Um, you know, primarily with the, uh, uh Elizabeth Warren turnout, uh, um, right. you know, but so, but where, where is he now? He's chairman of the state GOP. Oh, um, I didn't
1: know that you actually yeah. got a Tea Party conservative elected to the state office,
2: huh? Yeah. And this was and this is after a conservative, a concerted effort on the part of Charlie Baker, uh, Governor uh, Baker, to oust the conservative slash Tea Party members of the state committee. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, so um, I think part of at least on the local level, uh, where is you know, where is the Tea Party gone in the last 10 years. Well, they you know, you're a former, I think, what former County chair. Yeah. And I'm also on the state executive committee now. Okay. Um, so on the local level, I think that's where a lot of the tea party has gone. It's their ward chairs, their County chairs, their, uh, state committee people. Um, and, uh, so the we're not, you know, the the tea party isn't out on Boston common on April 15th. It's in, it's in the meeting now. It's yeah, it's, it has a seat at the table. And, and in, in many
1: cases, it's actually driving the agenda. Uh, I think that, um, You know, I have a a very similar evolution through the movement, right, that uh, I ran for office as well, a local office here, and I came with, I I learned all about electoral politics that I knew nothing about and came within 800 votes of making the runoff vote. And, you know, then we started taking over, it it evolved from rallies to getting involved in, you know, running campaigns, trying to get elected yourself, uh, getting into the Republican Party to try to help the Republican party get back to its conservative roots with mixed results because it actually turned out that a lot of the establishment elements would attack us. Right.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, um, there was, I mean, you had, you had tea party candidates, um, uh, knock off establishment Republicans in primaries. Um, mm-hmm. and then that establishment Republican and the rest of the party were often at best lukewarm, uh, in their support in the general election. You know, oh, there's, you have,
1: there's a guy, there's a couple of guys here in Oregon that are still actively attacking me over things that occurred in 2012,
2: 2014.
1: Wow. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: That, that really is. I mean, it, I mean, probably the, the first big win for the tea party was Scott Brown in right. two, in, in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, yeah, he only lasted two years, but he was that, you know, he was that the deciding vote on Obamacare and so that they couldn't amend it in the house. Um, so by, by denying them a veto proof majority, they had to pass it through reconciliation, which has allowed Republicans to chip away at it, um, you know, over, over the years, um, you know, and then, you, you know, you have Ted Cruz, you have, well,
1: <laughs> Yep, Mike Lee, and Marco Rubio, yep. you know, yep. and,
2: and, and those guys, unfortunately for every one of those, you also had a Christine O'Donnell or, <laughs> or Sharon Angle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, so, but like, you know, like any, Like any movement, you're going to have your wins. You're going to have your losses. Um, I don't think. And now, unfortunately, Republicans are joining with Democrats to chip away at um, uh, sequestration. Um, But that never would have we would never have gotten those caps had it not been for the fiscal fiscally conservative small government. Um, uh, congressmen and senators that the Tea Party helped get elected.
1: No, that's absolutely true. I think that the, there are some lasting and permanent successes that we can all uh, uh, tout, right? We can all look back at Ted Cruz, who started at 3%. We can look at Scott Brown. You and your business partner, John LaRosa, uh, started that hashtag, the uh, hashtag 41st vote, right?
2: Um, uh, that was. I'm going to give John all the credit. On that one yeah he and when it when it comes to messaging that can go viral he's about as good as I've ever seen
1: yep no he's he's done you guys have done a lot of good things with your four-tier strategies and I got to give you a shout out because you guys have kind of been an inspiration for me on uh, how you can have an effect and so you know we we all have our battle scars over the last several years Um, but uh, you know we we actually have a conservative, uh, a conservative footprint in both the House and the Senate now, and of course we took over state houses all over the nation, and and that's been a, a pretty permanent change so far. So um, my my concern though is if you look back at all the energy, wh- where's the energy now, and is it dissipating, or are we just not as visible?
2: I think uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, uh, I think there's you know. Banging your head against a wall for ten years, you just you start getting a little bit tired. Yeah. Um, uh, and so there there is some sort of dissipation of energy. Um, again, it's you know it's hard to rail against quote unquote big government when your party controls half of it.
1: Well, uh-huh. and for a significant time, we controlled all of it. We had the presidency, we had the House, and we had the Senate, and we didn't repeal Obamacare or uh, roll back any entitlements or we didn't even cut spending
2: yeah, I think and and I think that's part of the fatigue factor is um, you know, you had politicians tell the grassroots, well, you know, give us the house, and we'll do this. So we gave them the house, and they didn't do it right well, give it well, we need the Senate, okay here's the Senate. You still haven't done it. Well, you know, we really need, you know, total control because anything we pass is going to get uh, vetoed, um, you know, vetoed by Obama. So at least someone who is nominally a Republican is in the White House and we're still not getting stuff done.
1: And and it it I and mean, we're getting some stuff done. I, I you know the regulation rollbacks and the uh, Supreme Court picks and the federal court picks. Uh, you know ta- tax cuts were good, but they could have gone further. But yeah, you know I mean it, it's we have this uneasy tension between you know Tea Party and and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, what, what do you predict for the next two years and then uh, in 2020?
2: Um, I really think it's key. I think. The real key is, I mean, <clears throat> I think Trump is clearly going to, I mean, he can't lose his base. And and I'm not saying that as, as uh, you know, that, that he can't afford to lose his base. I don't think there is anything he can do that would cause his base to stop supporting. Um, and I think, um, you know... <clears throat> I think one of the misperceptions of the Tea Party back in 2009, 2010, 2012 um, was that it was all, you know, kind of right wing, small government, conservative Republicans. Um, And I think, I think the makeup of the Tea Party was much more reflective of the coalition that came and came together and put, um, uh, put, Trump in the White House, and that is, you know, disaffected Democrats, um, uh, you know, sort of your your conservative-leaning independents, Etc. Yeah, um, I, I, I think the Tea
1: Party definitely was a, a very independent movement and, and uh, broadly, uh, you know, not just bipartisan, but just a, a broad spectrum, because you had a lot of libertarians, you had a lot of independents, you even had a, a small, you know, but noticeable chunk of Democrats, probably 15 or 20% of the movement was Democrat. And, um, you know, so it, it's it's sort of the people versus the elites. Right. And that's, that's part of the reason why uh, Trump got elected is because we went up against people like Boehner and McCarthy and, and Ryan, unfortunately Ryan turned out to be the biggest disappointment ever. Um, But you know, those, those folks that were the establishment trying to keep the status quo. And we went up against those people and and, uh, took a lot of shots because of it.
2: Sure. I mean, I, well, I mean, four tier strategies, (laughs) <laughs> we had been a um, NRCC approved vendor. Then we made the mistake of uh, getting hired by a, a, a primary challenger to, to John Boehner. Um, been and yeah. Approval. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And, and in two, 2016, we were involved in, 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 a really interesting race. Also in Ohio, um, there was a, you know, definite tea party, candidate Matt Lynch and he okay. was ta- and he was taking on a Republican incumbent uh Dave Joyce and it was and, I, and and of course you have sort of the bellwether of the the Tea Party movement free, free uh freedom caucus uh in Jim Jordan and i looked at Dave Joyce's votes versus Jim Jordan's votes um, on 20 key kind of conservative bills, and he voted and Joyce voted against or opposite Jordan on 20 of 20. Oh my God. And so I went and I, I went to the political director of the campaign and, said, hey, do me a favor, would you compare Joyce's record, Dave Joyce's record on these votes with Nancy Pelosi
3: <laughs>
2: And he voted with Pelosi. On twenty out of twenty, yeah. And so so of course we came up, we came up with a uh, a, a, an ad saying, you know, if you wouldn't. And and what bugged me about Joyce is he he ran on um, a platform of or a slogan of he was the consistent conservative, right. And you know I don't mind if a candidate tells the truth and gets elected, but if they just lie to people's face time and time again. So, you know, we came up with an ad that's like, if you wouldn't vote for Nancy Pelosi, why would, you know, why would you vote for Dave Joyce? <laughs> and, you I'm know, sure that it, went well. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it did. Um, in that, uh, I mean, when we first got hired, uh, uh, we pulled the race among likely Republican voters and Matt was 45 points behind. Uh, we pulled uh, in October. And he was again likely Republican voters, and he was uh, up by six. Wow um, and <clears throat> uh, so you know unfortunately, had Club for Growth come out for uh, uh, spent like a quarter of a million bucks uh, for um, uh, the incumbent Dave Joyce, um, you know, like most you know sort of insurgent candidacies. Uh, didn't have a lot of money until we got him on Glenn Beck and he raised $65,000 in about eight hours. Um, wow. And even going into, I mean, I I think we pulled four or five days before election day primary in Ohio and we were still within the margin of error. And, uh, I actually, Texted uh, Brett Bear and say, you know, you might want to kind of keep an eye on this one, and um, I, and on election day, we lost by thirty points. Wow! And uh, that was my reaction. I mean, <laughs> I have never been so upset about losing a race. Uh, well, aside from my own, um, as I was. But Matt, Matt was on a radio show the next day, and he made a great point. When he said, "I think I won the Republican primary, I lost the Democratic one." There was, I mean to give you an idea, total turnout was in the Republican primary was 130% of registered of the number of registered Republicans. Wow, really? Yeah, and it was independents and Democrats coming out to vote for Trump. Who couldn't bring themselves to vote for a hard right social conservative? Really? Yeah. That's really
1: interesting. Okay, so, so they have, a, was it same day registration or was it uh, uh, an open primary where uh, people from the other party can vote?
2: Yeah, Ohio's a little weird in that your party registration is based on how you voted in the last primary which, which ballot you pulled. So you don't go down to your election office and re- register as a Republican. You go to the poll, you know, you go to, you register to vote. And then when you go to the uh, polls on primary day, if you choose to pull a Republican ballot, you are then a Republican for that until day. the next primary to, you know, for well until the next primary. Wow. That's crazy so so in essence yeah it's a it's it's basically an open primary.
1: Wow. Um, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean it, it, from a from a party standpoint, you don't want the other party picking your candidate. I would think the Democrats and the Republicans would try to change that.
2: Yeah I, I mean, yeah I'm not I'm not sure what the genesis of that was. Um, I mean in this in this particular case uh, Dave Joyce is actually more afraid of being primaried from the from the left than he is from the right but, <laughs> but that's you know but it, I, I, I think it just it speaks to the fluidity of um, of kind of party affiliation and personality affiliation that you have in the the Trump era. So to, to, to get back to your original question of, you know, what do I see in, over the next two years? I really, well, I mean, it's one, does the economy keep growing at three, three and a half percent? If it does, yeah, Trump's going to be tough to beat. If the Democrats uh, continue to overplay their hand uh, in with the investigations. Uh, I think that's going to help Trump. Um, and then we just, you know, we have to see if they actually, if the Democratic Party actually nominate, nominates a socialist. Um,
1: you know, it, 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 you talk about them overplaying their hand with the investigations and the impeachment and all that stuff, and, and overplaying their hand with socialism and trying to out-left each other. They... I mean, they can't be dumb enough to think this is going to work in the general, right? Uh, they, they must be trying to motivate their base. That's the only thing I can even think of strategically that would, would make sense for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I, think the, I think the Democratic Party is facing the same schism that the Republican Party um, was facing at the you know, apex of the Tea Party movement. Um, you know, you're having I mean <clears throat> you know, from your book, Behind the Curtain, you know, you you don't see you don't see the Tea Party out on in the public square at a rally, right? Right. Well, you don't you don't see Antifa out on the street. You don't see the Occupy movement out on the street. And unfortunately for the country, I think where those people are are ward chairs. Our county chairs. I mean, they're working within the Democratic establishment.
1: Yep, school board um, members, uh, lower offices. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, whoever's, you know, the head of the DNC and the DCCC, um, yeah, I think they're, they are at least inwardly, Concerned about the face that the Democratic Party is showing. I mean, I think right. you, you see it clearly. You see it clearly in uh, Speaker Pelosi's constantly talking down um, impeachment.
1: That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, she she's trying to tamp it down because she knows it looks bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think any. Serious thinking person um, who isn't animated by just hatred of all things Trump um, feels there is either a case for impeachment or that it would be good for the country
1: no I, I i don't think there's i mean obviously the the collusion thing just fizzled completely and you know this dossier is is a joke and so what are they going to impeach on but it but even more than that it's always been a disingenuous movement right i wrote about it in the book my book is by the way behind the curtain inside the network of progressive billionaires and their campaign to undermine democracy thanks for uh, the tea there brad i appreciate it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but you know, they started planning for impeachment before he was even inaugurated. It's completely disingenuous. It's being, the whole thing is being coordinated by a cabal of elites. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to, it'll be interesting to see the inspector general's report, uh, to you know, DOJ inspector general who is looking into, the auspices of the start of the FBI. Okay. I'll call it what it is spying. Right. Um, right. you know, and that, you know, that could just be incredibly damaging. Yeah. I, I think damage, I think damaging. I mean, if, if it is traced to Obama, uh, officials, yeah. um, I think it's damaging to. I think mean, it's damaging to the Democratic Party, but I also think it's damaging to um, the country. I mean, you you referred earlier to the um, the IRS targeting uh, Tea Party groups. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them. There you go. And <clears throat> and a lot of my friends, you know, on the conservative right, were saying, oh. If, you know, it was Obama, uh, you know, this was coming from the white house and I, my point was always actually it's worse if it isn't because that means unelected bureaucrats in our government are taking it upon themselves. Yeah. Yep. To target conservative groups Now, now as, as Kimberly said in, in the case
1: said, of the IRS I think it's both because Treasury Is a uh, cabinet position so It reports directly to the president But there are also uh, Thousands Tens of thousands of unelected Bureaucrats making these decisions every Day and that's what the deep state is And I, I touch on it in the book I, I wish I'd had more time to expand on it But um, you know the, the, the EPA uh, For instance is, is Completely corrupt you know and and there's no accountability.
2: Yeah, um, you know, and I—I I mean, I can't remember the name of Kimberly Strassel's uh, last book, but it—it um, it, it was talking. I mean, it dealt a lot with the IRS scandal and and how and you know and then they tried to use the FEC and and all of these uh, all of these government agencies, but. You know, and the the left constantly harps on Trump, um, you know, making statements or tweets that you know affecting the uh, the FBI or the DOJ or you know that he's calling for this and calling for that uh, without necessarily ordering somebody at a particular agency to do something. But that's what that's what Obama was doing for his entire. Presidency, you know, right? We we've got to get dark money out of politics. Well, which is which
1: is which is crap, you know. I mean, they, they, right. they're just cementing their own corruption. They don't want dark money out of it. They're too beholden to it.
2: Right, and 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 then you know we have to have disclosure of donors so that they can be targeted by the left and hounded out of, you know, uh, hounded either out of their position. I mean, who was the the Mozilla uh, CEO oh. that got hounded out of the company because he gave uh, money in support of Prop 8 in California.
1: That's you right. know, it's
2: it's that 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 kind of thing.
1: And that stuff is only getting worse too. I mean, it's it's really getting ugly out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We I mean we have a group here in uh, Massachusetts, Mass Fiscal Alliance, um, that um, you know advocates for small government, low taxes, and the Democratic Party. Um, has been trying to get the, uh, office of campaign and political finance, um, uh, to force mask fiscal to disclose their donors for years. Wow.
1: Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, you know I, my um Oregon guest this week is a candidate for a school board in Salem and she was telling me about this uh Salem Progressive Coalition that's putting out ads against her and and uh, calling her the the pro-life Oregon Right to Life candidate as if that's a bad thing. But, you know, they're they're politicizing everything all the way down to dog catcher, you know. So the the left is so much better organized than we are and it's really kind of concerning to me in that In that context, what are the opportunities for the Tea Party movement going forward? Do you think we could get the donors together and and, uh, the activists together and kind of uh, plot out how we're going to do things the way the left
2: does? (sighs) I I think part part of the problem is conservatives are not the natural joiners that or
1: collaborators
2: yeah that you know the uh, i mean when you're when your raison d'etre is just leave me the hell alone <laughs> um you know it's i think that's that's sort of partially true about somebody who would try to organize them
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's just you know what just leave me the hell alone um yeah. and and you know and and it's john LaRosa said throughout the past 10 years, there is no, the tea party. Um, you know, um, but I think, again, I think, I think who, who the, the Democrats nominate, um, is potentially going to be a greatly motivate motivating factor. Um, that I think you will see, um, I mean, if Joe, if Joe Biden is the nominee, I think you'll, you will see a lot less activism and activity from the quote unquote, the people that were part of tea party movements across the country, mm. um, as opposed to if it's, um, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, um, you know, I think, I think people on the right will want to, will fight as hard to keep Bernie Sanders, out of the White House as they did Hillary Clinton.
1: Interesting. But you think Joe Biden isn't as um, threatening?
2: No, not at all. Well, I mean, unless you're a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, Joe Biden's kind of the, the nice, crazy old uncle that, you know, shows up at Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. Um, I don't think... And, you know, he's come from kind of a working class background and, um, you know, and has has been reasonably conservative on certain issues in the past. Um, I don't I don't think he instills the fear in people um, that a Bernie Sanders would.
1: Interesting. So. My my thought on this in, in 2020, I don't have any feel yet for where the House and the Senate are going to go, uh, but I I really feel like as I as I watch things going on, and you brought up the economy, uh, assuming even if the economy just stays the same as it is now, I I think uh, Trump, based on the field of candidates we're looking at right now, is a shoe in for re-election, and I didn't even think he's going to win the popular vote
2: this time. It certainly could be. Um, I mean, you know, the media likes to paint uh, Trump uh, as, you know, not having any support in minority communities. But when you have, you know, uh, black business creation at the highest level of history, black unemployment at the lowest level in history, uh, Hispanic employment, uh, at the lowest in history, that doesn't go unnoticed in those communities.
1: Well, you, you, all you got to look at is uh, Ronald Reagan's re-election in '84. He carried Detroit. The city of Detroit voted 64% uh, for Reagan because of all the jobs that were created by the economy. So, you know, that's that's a bread and butter issue that we should win if we do
2: it right. Right. You know, and if we can avoid a major trade war with China, I mean, I have, I really have, I, I have kind of mixed feelings on tariffs. I mean, I'm generally anti- tariff, um, but I kind of look at it. I look at it as it's a negotiation tactic, and right. it's okay. Let's force these get force these guys to the table, um, and Basically, negotiate better deals. Now, I would like, I mean, in the case of renegotiating NAFTA, Canada, Mexico, and the United States came to an agreement, and Trump hasn't followed through on some of his commitments. Right. Uh, you know, he's sort of moving, <laughs> I mean, moving, the, he's kind of moving the goalpost. And I think I'd like to see him be more consistent in living up to. Commitments that he agrees to, because I think ultimately lower trade better barriers, lower tariffs uh, are are good for the economy. Right. Um, but and there's no you know, question about that. Right. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I was reading the article. I think it was yesterday about um, how successfully the Democrats and the media have can have uh, portrayed the message that the Trump tax cuts really just went to the top one percent and corporations when sixty or seventy percent of people got tax cuts and only about five or six percent of people and they tended to be higher earners saw their taxes increase. And yet in polls only twenty percent believed they they got a tax cut. And, and that's
1: my perpetual complaint, right? And and you and I got into uh, political consulting because of this, the the fact that Republicans and conservatives, we just can't get our message out. We can't find a way to make a message that resonates with voters, and it, it drives me crazy that we do the same old stuff, uh, you know, from the establishment Republicans, and we we don't fight
2: back. Yeah, well, I think I mean on on the question of the tax cuts from a messaging point of view, it would have been better to main t- keep the old withholding rates so that a week or so ago everybody would have seen, "Oh my God, I'm getting this big a refund
1: right right
2: and you know that would have just hammered home the the benefits of the tax cuts. But by with but by changing the withholding rates, you know, it's it's 20 bucks a week or 40 bucks a week more in your paycheck. So it doesn't have that impact. Right. But but policy wise, it was the right thing to do because Certainly. it meant that, you know, a hundred million people had 40 more bucks a week in their paycheck.
1: Right. And, and, that, and that's a pretty big effect on the economy.
2: Exactly. Um, You know, so, but yeah, um, again, I I mean, I really think it's going to depend on, um, it's going to depend on who the Democrats uh, nominate um, as to just how much energy um, there is out there. Um, And I think another motivating factor is going to be, uh, again, um, what I assume is, Going going to be overreached by by the Democrats Um, in go. I mean, I was never a Trump supporter. But the Democrats just insist on making me one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly right. I mean, it, that—that's it, you know the, the insanity with which they respond to him, the, the, the just foaming at the mouth craziness. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's entertaining. Uh, that's for damn sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I pointed out um, uh, there there was an article in today's uh, Wall Street Journal, and it talked about the fact that well. One of the Democrats' arguments against the border wall is that, um, you know, the bigger problem is people overstaying their visas, and yesterday, apparently, Trump ordered uh, the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security to, within applicable laws, now, given the existence of the Ninth Circuit, no one really knows what that means, um, (laughs) but to come up with policies and programs to focus on countries whose overstay rates exceed 10%, which would seem to make sense. Yeah. The, the problem is the vast majority of those countries are in Africa. So it's going to be, you know, I'm just sort of sitting here waiting for, you know, three two one. Racist, <laughs> uh, you know. So,
1: yeah. Well, and, and I mean that that also. I mean, there there are Muslim countries that have had their uh, uh, immigration fast tracked, um, which is why you you now see Ilhan Omar in Congress, right? Uh, but th- those countries would be disproportionately affected too. So, you know, look out. Right. So, yeah. All right. Last question here, Brad. Uh, Brad Marston of Four Tier Strategies and um, the, the Wounded Blue. Um, uh, real quick, uh, uh, before I ask my last question, give a plug for what you're working on right now.
2: We're working on a relatively new organization made up of um, uh, retired and current law enforcement officers called The Wounded Blue. And it's basically a wounded warrior project, but for law enforcement officers. What people don't recognize, and and what the and they're, they're nationwide in that they will fly. Um, let, let's say somebody's shot in a um, sh- shot and survives uh, a an encounter. Um, you know they're going to go through post traumatic stress. Uh, they're going to have uh, to have to negotiate. Um, you know. Uh, The legal minefields, the medical minefields, and so they will send a, and the people they send are all volunteers, um, but they will send someone to meet, work with, and advocate on behalf of a wounded law enforcement officer. Wow. a A couple of things that people don't recognize. Last year, more law enforcement officers committed suicide than were killed in the line of duty. And the other thing that people don't realize is, sure, in a big city like New York or Boston or L.A., um, uh, where you have strong unions, if somebody's injured in the line of duty, they're going to get um, they're going to get benefits, they're going to get medical care taken care of without question. But like 90% of law enforcement works in departments of 20 or less, and they live in communities. That, I mean, there's this guy, he, he was shot in the head and survived, obviously with brain trauma. And he's uh, he's got a wife and three boys, and he gets $375 a week in workman's comp. Oh my gosh. And his jurisdiction fought paying his medical bills for a year and a half until they were ordered to do it by a court. Wow. Um, You know, I mean, so how our law enforcement officers across most of the country are being abandoned by the cities and towns and counties that they risked their lives to protect is just Heartbreaking. So right. we're working on a GoFundMe to sort of jumpstart their initial uh, fundraising. Again, every nobody, nobody on the board takes a salary. All of their peer support counselors, trained peer support counselors, are volunteers. But it takes money to fly somebody from Nevada, where they're based, to. Oklahoma or et cetera, you know, so that's, that's where this money is going to. Um, so it's gofundme.com slash the wounded blue, or just go to gofundme.com and search the wounded blue. Um, it's, it's a terrific organization, um, run by a medically retired, uh, law enforcement officer, a guy named uh, Randy Sutton, um, who was the spokesperson for Blue Lives Matter. Um, it's, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, we don't do it for free. I mean, this is how I make my living. But it's it's working for an organization where you really believe in their mission.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds like a worthy cause. I'll uh, absolutely put the link in the show notes. So uh, it's, uh, give the website again. It's uh, thewoundedblue.org. You can go to the
2: wounded specifically what we're working on is promoting the GoFundMe. Okay. Um, and, you know, they are a registered IRS approved 501 C three. You know, so the money and, you know, the, we we linked it so it's not like the money's going into Randy's bank account and then he'll do with it. I mean, it it goes <laughs> to the Wounded Blue via GoFundMe and the PayPal uh, uh, the PayPal nonprofit uh, link.
1: Outstanding, uh, it's really good stuff, Brad. Thanks so much. Last question here: um, What do you think the future is for the Tea Party movement going forward?
2: Um, again, I think the Tea Party. <coughs> again there is no vt party movement um i think it i think it institutionalizes uh and um it continues to infuse um uh the republican party certainly at the local level you know where you mentioned where you mentioned um yeah i mean yeah we took over uh the house and the senate at least for a while But the takeover in governors, governorships, uh, the takeover in so many state legislatures, yeah, okay, that was partially reversed in 2016. Um, But I I, I think it is, it's getting involved in campaigns. It's getting involved in the party at the local level. Um, You know, that's, it's, it's institution, doing a better job of institutionalizing the push for more economic freedom, more personal freedom. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to tackle the debt. Um, well, <laughs>
1: That's I unfortunate. Think we're, I mean, it's going to kill
2: us. Yeah, I mean, it's Congress will is not going to do anything about Social Security until the checks start bouncing. Right. They're not going to do anything about the debt until people stop lending us money. Um, and you know, unlike a bailout of Greece or Italy, there is no entity big enough to bail the United States out. That's right. Uh, so uh, you know, granted, uh, you know, you get to three, three to four percent growth for a sustained period of time, um, and that can solve a lot of the problems um, without, uh, you know, w- without drastic austerity, um, but we still have some structural
1: problems that are just not sustainable no matter how much growth there is, and they're going to have to be dealt with. Um, uh, the the article came out yesterday that uh, uh, Social Security will be insolvent by 2035. That'll be my uh, 64th birthday, so I'll be uh, <laughs> just about ready for retirement.
2: Okay. Well, luckily I get there a lot sooner than you do, no, thanks. Um, but You're stealing
1: all my money, Brad. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> not as much as I'm stealing my kids. That's a fair uh, point, <laughs> you know. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, at, I mean, I think what are we scheduled? We're scheduled to spend more on uh, interest on the debt in a few years than on total discretionary spending. Um, I mean, it's just the. The numbers, the numbers don't work. And, you know, hopefully guys like you and I and and the, the friends we've made over the last 10 years, uh, you know, remain active and remain, you know, pounding away at that message. Yep. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's the problem is the number has gotten so huge that people don't understand it. <laughs> That's absolutely true it's just I incomprehensible mean, right they they understand gas going from th- you know 279 to 299 because they see it every week when they fill up their car but they don't understand 22 trillion dollars in debt yeah so, well, we got to
1: keep pounding away at it, right? I mean, that's that was one of the uh, one of the foundational principles of the Tea Party is smaller government, uh, 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 fiscal responsibility, and we're not living up to any of that. So somehow we got to break through with that message and get some real reform.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, and with the exception of you know guys in the Freedom Caucus, the guys, the, the Congressmen and women uh, elected by the Tea Party, you know, I, I kind of throw up my hands and go, you know what? the Republican party establishment doesn't really believe in smaller government. They just believe they can manage big government better than Democrats can. Right. Um, and, and the other, you know, the other thing is the Democrats sit there and talk about, you know, well we're going to raise taxes to pay for the green new deal or pay for Medicare for all. It was like, okay. Um, but we're already have trillion dollar deficits, so, I mean, does anybody think if they raised taxes or if they had more revenue, they would use it to reduce the deficit or just pay for some new ridiculous program?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's just going to be more gifts from Santa Claus, and uh, we'll we'll deal with the fiscal uh, the fallout later. So, all right, uh, Brad Marston, thanks so much for joining us on the Behind the Curtain podcast. Real quick, what's your uh, Twitter handle for the listeners?
2: Uh, at Brad Marston.
1: Okay. Uh, That'll also be in the show notes. Brad, thanks so much for being with me. I appreciate it.
2: It's been a pleasure, Jeff.
1: All right. Thanks so much.
2: Bye.
0: If you like this podcast, the best way you can support it is by leaving a rating and subscribing. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Now it's on to the Oregon Story of the Week with Marty Hyen of the Salem-Kaiser School District. Welcome back to the Behind the Curtain Podcast
1: with Jeff Reynolds. My guest from Oregon this week is Marty Hyen, who is a current member of this Salem-Kaiser School Board. Uh, and is running for re-election along with a couple of other friends of hers, and uh, she's faced some, uh, all of a sudden, some very interesting attacks from the left. Uh, Marty, welcome into the show.
3: Well, thank you for having me, Jeff. I've I've never done this before, so this is kind (laughs) of fun, something new.
1: Yeah, this is going to be great. Uh, So we're going to do a full segment here on uh, your race for school board, and it it may seem a little bit of, you know, inside baseball, kind of um, small-town politics, but it's indicative of a a bigger issue and a bigger picture of what's going on in in politics in Oregon in general. So I wanted to get you on and uh, talk to you about some of these um, online attacks that you've been facing.
3: Well, uh, first, it's not really small politics when you look at the fact that we are the second largest school district in the state of Oregon and educate 42,000 students a year. So we really have quite a bit of influence As far as the sudden attacks, well, unfortunately, they're not sudden at all. They started in 2015 when I ran for school board. These uh, people are part of a group called Progressive Salem, and they have taken over our city council. They're part of the plastic bag ban. I believe they're going after plastic straws next. If they're part of the no third bridge, even though we have congestion so bad in downtown trying to get across the bridge over into West Salem that you could sit for 15 minutes or an hour in traffic. And they're the the people that uh, Costco was going to move to a location out south and Costco did all, spent millions of dollars doing all the work required by the city. And then at the last minute, the city council said, yeah, no, we're not going to let you build there. So wow. these are kind of the people that are, are behind these attacks. They pretty much are against any of your rights, most conservative values. They are against them. They're very progressive and I actually like to call them regressive instead of progressive because I believe their policies are regressive.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it almost seems like uh, Portland politics is invading Salem, don't you think?
3: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it has. And I don't believe they represent the majority. I think uh, especially when, you know, they all ran for city council, some people are afraid to run against them. Really? yeah, there's one in particular, I'm not going to name names here, but, you know, I've I've heard complaints from people that this person represents, and I said, well, why don't you run? And they're like, no, they're afraid to. In fact, somebody did run against this person and was, I guess, beaten up quite badly, certainly not literally, with fists and, and things like that, but really treated horrible, they're Pretty, uh, pretty creative in, <laughs> in their politics. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to mess with them, unfortunately. And, and they're in control, and now they're going to go after – they're trying to raise taxes in Salem, so they can't even, you know, manage what we already give them.
1: You know, that's, that's really interesting, too, because it's, it's not just left versus right anymore or, uh, you know, debate over the issues or, you know, there's something really mean spirited about politics. And it's really it's not just at the national level and everybody being anti-Trump or pro-Trump or whatever. But it's, it, it really has been a long, slow progression of, of this just mean spirited stuff that goes on at all levels, even the local level. You know, and this is, this goes back way before Trump.
3: Yes, and um, it, it's really sad. I mean, both the city council and the school board are non-partisan races, which means on the ballot it won't say Republican or not affiliated or or Democrat. It's uh, you know there's no primary or anything. It's just supposed to be citizens that want to step up and contribute to their uh, community, but they've they've turned it into a partisan thing you know the attack you know obviously the uh, candidates on the other side at least one of them I don't know about all of them the one that is running against me has gotten something from Planned Parenthood so you can tell that they're kind of 180 degrees from where I stand at least personally I believe all life is precious and you know Planned Parenthood's about nine months of abortion, and who cares if it's starting to come out, right?
1: Right, right. Well, and they're also behind the pretty radical and um, far-reaching sex education curriculum, aren't they?
3: They are, and or at least I believe they are. But one thing I want parents to know is they can opt their kids out of modules. They need to uh, – I tell parents this all the time, you need to have a conversation with your teacher every year and make sure they understand you, your beliefs, and what you do and don't want your child to be exposed to. In Salem-Kaiser, we do send out letters to the parents um, kind of with titles of what's going to be taught. I think parents need to ask questions and then decide if that curriculum is okay for their child or not.
1: Uh, Well, that seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh, Why would that be unreasonable to them?
3: I mean, uh, that's what we've done. Um, My son's gone through uh, pre-K through graduation. In eighth grade, my husband talked to the teacher, and we were okay with what they were going to teach and how they were going to teach it. Mm-hmm. When uh, he went to ninth grade, my husband had another conversation with the teacher for that and was not okay with what they were going to teach and how they were going to teach it. So uh, we opted him out of the entire class. And in order to do that, though, you have to come up with another method to meet the basically the health requirement to get that credit. And there's, uh, he, he did it by... Um, Doing a report, he uh, interviewed Patty Milne, who used to be county commissioner here. And oh uh, sure, California. I know Patty. And he he did he, he interviewed her on some things regarding healthcare, and so he met the requirement, you know, for for graduation for that. Yep. But parents really need to pay attention because yeah,
1: they, they we, really do because. Some of this stuff, I mean, I've talked to, in recent episodes, I've talked to Rebecca Friedrichs of the Friedrichs versus CTA case, um, and also Kim Sardell, who's a uh, Portland Public Schools activist who was on Dennis Richardson's staff at uh, the Secretary of State's office. And there's so much that they're doing that most people don't even know about or just kind of assume is okay. But if you really start to dig into it, it it's really not okay. They're They're actually crossing the line and sexualizing our kids.
3: Yeah, that's why parents need to be active and pay attention. Uh, there's there's a group called uh, Parents' Rights in Education that might be a resource for them. If somebody has a problem in Salem-Kaiser and, and wants to talk, I'm a resource. I, I, I'll talk to anybody and uh, maybe even go to coffee <laughs> with them, yeah. you know, to find out what's going on. But, but parents... Are not as engaged as they used to be, and they need to be. They need to to find out what's being taught. I mean, we've had some issues with teachers um, that we've had to deal with. Most teachers are great. They they care about your kids, but you know they're kind of stuck teaching what's coming down from basically the legislature and Oregon Department of Education, and that's why I ran for House District 22 last year. Is I felt I could do so much more for our kids from the legislature than I can do as a school board person.
1: So that's an interesting point. You talk about how um, uh, parents are not as engaged as they used to be. I've I've noticed that myself. I've got an eighth grader and a third grader, and I'm on the uh, board of directors for my little school here up in uh, Gresham. And, you know, we try to reach out and form these parents groups and uh, formed like the PTO and the, the uh, parent advisory committee and, and those kinds of things. And we can't get people to respond. We can't get people to even get involved.
3: Uh, you know, that that's kind of a problem across all sorts of areas, you know, even uh, churches or neighborhood associations trying to get people to, get out of their chairs and away from their computers and come and participate in things that are helpful to the community is really difficult. And I think it it has been for a long time. My husband used to be the chair of our neighborhood association. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just there, there's not many people that would come unless, and, and this is the same for the school board, not many parents come to the school board, you know, to our meeting unless... There's something big going on, and then they all come out. But really, they shouldn't wait for something big to be going on. They need to be involved all the time.
1: Yeah, you know, and and that's really a shame, too, because I don't think these views that are being pushed by the the progressive side that are opposing you, I don't think these views are mainstream. I don't think these are majority views, and yet they're able to keep pushing because there's no – there's nobody there to say, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. What problem are you trying to solve? Why are you trying to do this to our children?
3: Well, what's, what's kind of funny is I thought uh, after the, the post that uh, is a reason for our conversation right now, I saw a lot of people saying, well, then, yes, I will I will vote for those three people
1: that yeah. are, are
3: the pro-life candidates. Thank you for pointing
1: who they were, <laughs> it sort of so, backfired on them. Yeah, huh?
3: kind of backfired on them. Um, but you know, I mean, seriously, it's not like uh, we provide uh, abortion services in our schools, right? Not so yet. So I don't know what their big <laughs> their big problem is.
1: Yeah, no, it's really it. interesting that that they they politicize everything and they make everything about whether you're pro-life or not. It, it, that's why it's kind of amazing that Dennis Richardson was elected to Secretary of State because they, they tried to make that about abortion, you know, that uh, Brad Avakian was gonna stand up for women's rights and all that stuff. and And he still ended up losing mostly because he was a horrible candidate. But I mean, we see this all the time on the left where everything is about abortion. Everything is about progressive values. It has nothing to do with what's going on in the community. And they're doing a really good job on that side of building up their, their farm team by continually running candidates on this same platform. It's something that we on the right don't do very well.
3: Well, and, and also, you know, they're running them on an issue that the uh, people that are wanting to be elected will have no voice in anyway. Right? Right. I mean, well, but, but it's not about. I would this. have to be a legislator it, it, to have a voice in uh, laws regarding abortion in Oregon, and I'm not. So
1: yeah, well, but what, it's, it's what obviously not about. It, it's not about this position that you hold right now. It's about the next position that you're going to be eligible to run for. You know what I mean? So it's it's those guys are setting up these school board candidates now to be legislative candidates in two to four to six years
3: yeah i'm I'm pretty sure that's what's happening with uh at least one of those candidates that uh, he's being groomed for for big things
1: yeah so hey specifically talk about that post uh, on Facebook that uh, was attacking you and uh, the other and who are the other two candidates
3: uh, <clears throat> sorry uh, Danielle Bethel is uh the Running against Chuck Lee okay. and uh, Satya, and I can't pronounce his last name. Right, <laughs> so, um, Satya, I'm not going to do that to you, but i mispronouncing it. Yeah. And he is running against uh, David Salinas. So, for Satya and David Salinas or Salina, uh, you know, they're they're not running against an incumbent. Uh, that's seats currently held by Jim Green, and he is not running again. Okay. And of course. Uh, Raul Marquez is running against me, and he's 19 years old and still lives at home and is going to college.
1: Wow. Wow. I didn't even know. That.
2: Wow. How, how? I know.
3: It, it needs to get out there that, uh, I mean, he seems like a nice enough young man. Yeah. Uh, he's very polite, but I would, you know, as a parent, I want somebody that's got some experience maybe if you know if not on the school board, at least experience at being a parent
1: yeah that that seems really green for a, a position what 's the annual budget for the Salem Kaiser school district?
3: Well, this year it looks like it 's really huge, one point one or one point two billion, but that 's really kind of not a real number in that uh, we had a big bond measure, and that is included in that. Total, mm. it, it's usually six hundred plus million dollars a year.
1: That's that's a lot of money to be responsible for uh, for somebody yeah. who's never held a job and never paid his own bills.
3: Yes, yes, I agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you've never made your own personal budget, maybe you shouldn't be in charge of such a big public budget.
3: Maybe. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the things I enjoy doing is. Uh, being there for parents. When my son was going to school and there were issues when he was in elementary school, I got no help from the district. Now we have a better and new, different supervi- or, uh, superintendent now, but I got nowhere. And I really felt all alone. And uh, so my favorite thing is to help parents. You know, if they email me, call me, Mm -hmm. I will call them back. I will talk to them. I'll have coffee with them. I've even had coffee with some teachers. I really want to understand the the issues, you know, that they're having and and try to help them. We have a huge bullying problem. I mean, we have uh, policies against bullying, but um, having gone through it with my own child, it's kind of – sometimes it's kind of hidden, and uh, you know it doesn't always happen when there's adults around to, to see and so it, it goes on pretty much everywhere i think it probably goes on pretty much everywhere in the country sure but just you know trying you know just being there and trying to help somebody you know they really appreciate that that somebody another parent who understands how they feel about their kids really understands and cares and and tries to help well
1: you know I, I, my, my daughter goes to a charter school and, and this charter school had a real bullying problem two, three, four years ago. And the new executive director came in and implemented these, these plans where they're very uh, they'll, they'll intervene uh, proactively and they, they will take care of the problem where uh you know, it seems like the, this restorative justice justice stuff that came out of the Obama administration, they want to, uh, uh, you know, take into account everybody's feelings and, you know, uh, communities of, uh, minority descent, uh, have been put upon for decades. And so therefore they can't control their behavior and we shouldn't punish them and, and those kinds of things. And it's, it's really kind of insulting, but it, it's also completely ineffective where, you know, we, we came in and actually started intervening and um, punishing the kids that were doing the bullying, but also trying to uh, implement some of the restorative justice stuff where you, you want to build them up with positive reinforcement. And it's been really effective where in the in the public schools, it doesn't seem like anything's getting done. It's, it's getting worse.
3: Uh, it, it could be because of the sheer size, you know, and True. you just can't deal students. with the problem. It's, uh, I mean, right now we're dealing with something uh, that really the whole state is dealing with is some legislation that basically said a teacher couldn't touch a student unless the student was going to hurt themselves. Right. And so what this has led to is something called room clears. I'm sure many people have heard of those.
1: Yeah, this is really important. Talk about this.
3: Yeah, so um, basically, a student is out of control for some reason. Instead of, you know, taking a hold of the child and maybe helping them exit the room and and yeah, working just subduing on that, the
1: violent behavior.
3: They they have to clear all the other students out of the room, and right. you know that that disrupts the learning from the kid for the kids that want to learn. And well, and sometimes it, this happens every day or frequently.
1: Yeah, and and we've seen this in the news recently, where uh, you know in classrooms in crisis. I think uh, KGW ran a series on this, but you're seeing where kids are being allowed to just trash the entire classroom while everybody else just evacuates and says, yeah, uh, sorry, we won't uh, we won't intervene. It, it doesn't seem to be solving any problem.
3: Well, this this is again is is based on some legislation, and that's. Again, why I had run for the uh, legislature its this is where things are starting. And uh, fortunately, and I don't remember the bill number, sorry, there is a bill, and it's got a lot of support that actually put some definitions in there so that a teacher will be able to actually touch and hopefully then remove a student if they are... um, about to cause harm not only to themselves but to a teacher or other student whereas before they couldn't do that and you know we've had teachers hurt we have had teachers go to the hospital
1: sure and I mean, somebody, that's
3: not okay these teachers didn't sign up for that they want yeah. to educate the kids
1: yeah my my son is in 8th grade and he's you know 5 foot 8 and 180 pounds so he's bigger than a lot of his teachers so if he got out of control, he could really do some damage.
3: So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm sure that this legislation will pass, and I'm hoping that... Are you it, sure? Yes. Okay. It, it has bipartisan support. Okay. Um, I'm hoping it passes soon, and I'm hoping that it makes a difference. I don't know how big a difference it will make, but it certainly will make some difference in a positive direction.
1: Good, good. Okay, I'm here with Marty Hein of the San Kaiser School District, and she's running for re-election. She's been targeted by the progressive left as the evil pro-life candidate, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wanted yeah, to really
3: evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, ha- I had a baby when I was 16 and, and we adopted our son is a baby. I'm a very evil person.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, uh, if you don't uh, if you don't support post birth abortion then you shouldn't serve in any public uh, <laughs> setting.
3: I just find that so totally unbelievable that we have gotten to this place.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? I
3: mean, we're, we we fight for wildlife and whatever, but how about fighting for human beings?
1: Right, right. No, it's it, it's insane. Everything is upside down. We have all of our priorities wrong. So. Um, it it's good to have people like you serving and and doing public service you know it just it reminds me i i just saw this thing today that uh there are i think 46 new uh exemptions to public records laws that they're uh considering in salem when there are already 600 something exemptions to the public being able to review records uh, and and transparency in government. And our government is completely broken and in full-on protection mode. Uh, It's amazing to watch how public servants believe that they're better than us and they're the elites and they're going to tell us what we're supposed to believe.
3: And, And that's the progressive value. They're elitist. They think they know better. They think they should control your life down here. It's like we have one that's like, well, everybody should, uh, you know, when, when dealing with the traffic, we have downtown and, um, basically gridlock because of the bridge, you know, everybody should ride their bike or walk. Well, hello, my mother has a walker Yep. and what a, who wants to I love to ride my bike. I do it for recreation. But who wants to ride their bike when it's raining in Oregon? Not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. A, a mother or even a father going to the grocery store with their children and how are they supposed to do that? And we do not have very good um, public transportation. We don't. I've been to Washington DC where it was pretty darn good. I could get to pretty much it, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, a bus or subway, but here we just don't have it. And
1: well, and of course that that means that you have to build more. So um, they're right. not going to build a bridge until you build a subway.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Salem's quite big enough for <laughs> well for a subway. But you know it's just we don't have that kind of infrastructure to to have the really good uh, public transportation, and we don't have the money to even have our buses running often enough to make it a viable option. So it's just people who, I mean, what, we used to get paper sacks, right? And we started using plastic to save the trees. <laughs> well, what our city council has done is, first they were going after the single-use plastic bag. And when they were told by many people, hello, they're not single-use. And they're not in my house either. We right, use right. them for something else. Absolutely. So they they removed those words, but they still went after the ban, and then they forced businesses to charge the consumer for the bag.
1: And wh- where's that money going?
3: Apparently, to uh, back to the the grocer or the, uh, the store, I believe gets to keep that money, but they're really? forcing this business decision. Right? Wow. This should be up to the business if they want to provide. Free plat- or free paper sacks or not, but they can't.
1: That's insane. They're not
3: allowed to. I we we went to a a, a a a tool store and I'm not sure if I should mention the name or not, so I won't. But um, we went for three items, and I didn't even think about a bag. Right, we're going for three items. Well, we left with a cartload. <laughs> Sometimes know, that happens. Yeah, you see. Oh, I need that. Oh, I need that. So. You know, we had to put everything into the cart, then everything out, you know, to get checked out, then everything back in the cart. They had no bags at all. I couldn't even buy a paper sack there. They had nothing. That's ridiculous. And then I had to take it out to the car and then individually remove every item into the car and then individually remove every item at home. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Absolutely ridiculous.
1: Don't you feel like you've helped the earth now, though?
3: No. No. <laughs> you know those those plastic bags we had were very thin. Yeah. And uh, in Salem, we don't put our stuff in a landfill. We have Corvanta, which is very environmentally friendly. It's not a polluter, and, it, and I believe it, they even create uh, electricity. Although I'm not 100% on that. And uh, so you know the the old landfill reason doesn't hold any water here in Salem. And uh, so now I, I think uh, the city council has done a disservice. I know these other bags that people use, a lot of people don't clean them, so then they carry germs. Oh, no, sure. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of reasons why they are not the answer. So why don't you let people be free to make their own decisions, city council?
1: Well, because we don't need the people the don't know The government
3: telling us how to do every aspect of our lives. That's yeah. why we're American. That's why we had a, a revolutionary war against the king in England, right?
1: Yeah. yep. Well, we, we, we replaced the king with our uh, elected elites.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, you know, it occurs to me on this uh, on this plastic bag ban, and uh, we're getting close to our uh, half hour limit here. But uh, 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 on this plastic bag ban, it's really interesting because even if you don't recycle the bags and they go into a sanitary landfill, I mean, it's called a sanitary landfill for a reason. It's all self-contained and stuff doesn't escape very easily. Sometimes a plastic bag may blow away in the wind, but more often than not, it's just going to get buried under other garbage and just sit there for all of eternity. And that, that's a, a relatively tiny piece of land that takes up uh, all of our our waste, right? So we're not even solving a problem because we're not contributing, as, as Americans, we're not contributing to this problem because all of this plastic just goes and gets buried in, in, in this landfill. It, it, the The amount of stuff that escapes has to be minuscule.
3: Well, pretty much uh, where I've seen the worst um, garbage, I guess, you know, and trash let, left behind is, of course, from people who are homeless, yeah. uh, who who might leave these things behind. And, you know, that's another problem that, you know, we have a big problem. We have Americans living on the street. Yeah. And, 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 um, and the
1: Democrats that have been in charge of Oregon for 30 years have exacerbated this problem. They haven't actually solved it.
3: No, it's gotten worse. And yeah. and rent rent prices have gone up so much that it's getting harder and harder for people to afford an apartment. Yeah. I yeah. I couldn't afford an apartment right now. You know, I'm glad we bought our house 25 years ago because otherwise we couldn't afford our own home and it's a starter home. It's not even a big house. It's a little yeah. house. So, um yeah, it's it things things are broken kind of everywhere and i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know where we're going i don't know how this is going to end up but
1: well, I think I think the first step to solving all this is getting good people like you into office and uh, retaining you in office. So why don't we, uh, Marty, hi, and uh, we'll wrap it up here, but uh, why don't we tell the audience where they can find more information about you, Salem Cires, school district, your, your uh, campaign, and if you've got social media links, anything you want to uh, pump out there.
3: Sure. So uh, my website is W-w-w. www.hienfororegon.com and in case you don't know how that's spelled that's H-E-Y-E-N F-O-R Oregon.com I do have a Facebook page too it's Marty Hien for School Board and I try to keep it updated with different things going on and uh, if you go to the Salem-Kaiser School District page and look for board members you will see my public telephone listed and you can give me a call. I probably won't answer if I don't recognize the number, but you leave a message, I will call you back.
1: Outstanding. Thanks so much, Marty. And um, we'll definitely make sure to link all of your social and your uh, website and all that stuff
0: in the show notes. So thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for checking out the Behind the Curtain podcast. Once again, I want to thank my buddy Brian Futch for providing me the theme song, I Am America, produced by Cass Anawati. Join us next Wednesday for another episode of Behind the Curtain with Jeff Reynolds. Great
4: Grandpa sailed here from across the ocean. Nothing else but his dream For a better life His folks over there shook their heads At such a crazy notion But deep down in his heart He knew he was right He cleared the way For you and me You can still hear For his country, he wouldn't pay Like so many others, he fought for the cause With great devotion just like his daddy, he led the way Yeah, yeah, yeah His stories have faded with his years But his eyes say it lies